0: Welcome to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast, the show about photography and design, with your host, Dave Clayton. Okay, welcome to another episode of He Shoots, He Draws, and today we've got another guest that's been worth the wait. Um, And as always, with guests from this particular organisation, they are extremely busy. So we do appreciate him taking the time out and uh, today's guest is Mr. Howard Pinsky. Hello, Howard. Hey, how are you? Oh, we're good. All things considered. That's true. (laughs) So you're, uh, I guess you're working at home sort of permanently at the moment.
1: I am. Yeah, it seems to be pretty much across the country or across the company, at least. Uh, we're all kind of stuck at home right now, offices are still closed, but thankfully we're in a pretty good position where most of what we do is all online, so it's been a pretty seamless transition.
0: Yeah, have you found that having to, so we'll talk about what you're doing now, but I do want to go back and talk about your origin story, (laughs) Um, so kind of being thrown into that position very quickly, because I mean you're relatively new to Adobe anyway, I think it was August 2018 you you joined them, so yeah, less than two years how how did you find or how did you and your colleagues find the transition that quickly from like hey everything's okay to right close everything down
1: yeah so my direct colleagues everyone on the evangelist team was very used to that we all worked from home to begin with occasionally we would travel to san francisco usually once a month or so just to host a guest in the studio but other than that, everything that we do was done from home. So for us, it was just business as usual. Of course, with the studio closed down, a lot of us took on additional streams. So it was a lot more business than usual, but <laughs> it, was, it was a very seamless transition for us.
0: So can you explain to the listeners that may not know you, um, like what is, your, what is your role today?
1: Yeah, so the, my current my title right now is Senior XD Evangelist. So I'm on the Adobe Evangelist team, focused specifically on Adobe XD.
0: And your colleagues are Paul, uh, Terry, yeah. Rufus, yep. Jason, uh, Stephanie. Jason, Stephanie. Uh, yep. uh, obviously, you and Stephanie are the newest to the team on XD. So let's talk about that a little bit, because yeah. we can jump around on this. But obviously, XD sort of came along is the new kid on the block for Adobe really that's had the most resources and then yourself and Stephanie have come on as the XD evangelist. Do you want to just sort of explain a little bit about the like the whole XD ecosystem and why it's been so important?
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely opportunities in the space in the UI and UX space which is growing tremendously. And, you know, Adobe's trying to do things a little bit differently. We, of course, have many competitors in the space from Sketch and Figma to Envision, all very good competitors, which I think is fantastic for the industry. And we, from the beginning, you know, I shouldn't say we because I wasn't there at the time, but from the beginning, Adobe's wanted to kind of provide an all-in-one solution for one of these applications. You l- you look at um, Sketch, for example, which, again, fantastic application, but until recently, they didn't really have prototyping capabilities. You had to grab Envision, which is was a separate application, separate service you had to pay for. And then if you wanted to export and share, you needed Zeppelin. So you needed a few different pieces to complete that puzzle. And Adobe's trying to do things a little bit differently where it's trying to put the whole puzzle together for you. So we're really tackling prototyping, sharing, designing, collaborating, and it, it's going very well. You know, XD has grown substantially over the last few years. Even the the year and a half that I've been here, I've seen tremendous growth, which is really
0: exciting. I was going to say it's been the product that's actually had the most uh, what I'd call user interaction from Adobe kind of opening its doors to everyone and saying look come along this is what we're building because we attended uh astute graphics we attended a couple of xd open days and we actually developed a plugin for xd because we're already doing it for illustrator um and it was nice that adobe was saying to the you know to our developers come on in we'll show you what we're making what do you think it should do what what could you add to it and very quickly there was a lot of third party and and external people being involved and then you know the marketplace um the extent is, no what's it called the uh adobe extensions or I, there were a lot of yeah for the plugins there was a yeah. lot of plugins very early on to help the product evolve and then obviously you go to adobe max and you see oh we're adding voice recognition we're adding this so it's probably one of the fastest growing Adobe apps that I've certainly seen in recent times.
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely something that's a little bit different for Adobe. You know, that's one thing that caught my eye even before I joined officially as an employee is, you know, the speed at which XD was updating. It was updating every single month, which is was rare for Adobe. You know, back in the, oh. creative, cla- or the creative suite days, <laughs> it was once a year, you got these big updates that you'd have to pay for but Adobe XD came along every single month there's an update some some months are bigger than others and the the team is really connected with the community you know one thing i noticed before joining is people like Andrew Shorten and Elaine were on twitter all the time communicating directly with users they were having meetings behind the scenes they were holding conferences and phone calls it's just very connected because traditionally you look at adobe products there wasn't much competition there, right? Photoshop is the king of that space. Mm. Illustrator is the king or queen or whatever you want to call it. Um, PDF, you know, I don't have to say more about that. Then Adobe XD came along and it was definitely playing catch up. So the team took a completely different stance with that. And it's very community driven. You know, we've got user voice to pull in To figure out what users really need in XD, there's a lot of meetings going on, talking with big companies, small companies. It's really refreshing to see.
0: Yeah, and you're making a product as well. XD is a product from from my view is it's such a collaborative tool that it's helping people create software to enable interaction to to enable collaboration because of the nature of you know we use it at work to prototype the website. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the you know sometimes adobe have maybe been guilty of making a very specific product that kind of doesn't know where to go but the things with with xd is we we were sitting trying to guess where it would go because it was so flexible right so my question is for you how does a guy that started off 13 14 years ago as a photoshop youtube trainer kind of and i mean i I think it's obvious why you end up at xd but let's just go back to when you started um Back in the days when you were so young. You're so much younger than us. <laughs> <laughs> what what's, what, was your kind of origin story of, of kind of putting yourself in front of camera? Because, you know, I love a podcast because I don't have to be in front of camera. But mm-hmm. I think putting yourself in front of camera and teaching was a decision you made quite early on. So where did that come from?
1: Yeah, my story goes all over the place. So when I was in high school, I discovered Photoshop. I think at the time they had Photoshop 3.0. Or maybe it was 2.5 on their computers. It was a bit outdated. But that was before Layers was even introduced. But, you know, having an artistic mind, it it just got me really excited about design and, you know, creating things. So I kind of kept that going. But my real interest was 3D design and animation. So, you know, grade 12, they had a 3D class. I dove into that. And then I went to college for... 3d design and animation and that was that was my goal to become like a pixar or disney or dreamworks animator or designer um life life was weird at the time not going to go too deep into details but it had to drop out of that and because of how weird life was i decided you know i have this knowledge of photoshop i've been using it for a while youtube was brand new i think you mentioned that earlier 2006 2005 something like that it just was new so nobody was really doing education on youtube it was all really stupid cat videos and videos at the zoo (laughs) i think the first video ever on youtube was um, one of the co-founders at the zoo but it was all videos like that so i decided what the heck i need something to distract myself so i turned on the camera i opened photoshop and i just did something and you saw you were talking earlier before the podcast you watched my very first video I think that was my very first Photoshop video. I think there was another one before that, which was like a yeah. vlog style thing, which was terrible. It's gone now, um, but it was it was terrible. My, you know, it was I was very monotone. I was very the equipment sucked. It was four by three. There was just nothing good about it. But people liked it because there was nobody else doing that. So there were some encouraging comments. There were definitely some really harsh comments. But you have to push those aside and keep. Moving forward and that blossomed into something much bigger than I can ever expected. I started doing this for a living at some point. I was making money off of it once the YouTube partner program came around and you know, I just kept, kept pushing forward. But you know, I think where things kind of started to turn was around 2012. I want to say YouTube was changing very drastically and ad revenue for channels like mine definitely started decreasing. So I think in 2014, I joined Fullscreen, which is like a YouTube talent agency type of thing. And I did a lot of UI and UX work there, creating, uh, helping with mobile apps, websites, and that sort of thing. So it just, it was a natural progression to move into that space and kind of leave the Photoshop stuff behind.
0: Now, I was looking through your LinkedIn profile because I always like to have a look and see where people have been and what they've done. You've got Apple in there. Mm Mm-hmm. What was that?
1: Yeah, so I worked at one of the Apple stores. When I first moved to the United States, I worked at one of the Apple stores. I was actually in the process of interviewing at a store in Canada where I was living. And then when I moved here, I basically went into the store. I said, hey, listen, I was interviewed in Canada. Give me a shot. And they did, thankfully. And I joined as just a re- regular salesperson, but quickly moved into, they call it a creative role. That's what the title is. And it is essentially a trainer. So if people are buying a Mac or an iPhone or whatever it might be, there's somebody in the store that could walk them through the process. They deliver classes. I think now that position is molded more into workshops where it's not one-on-one training. It's more of like a trainer and 10 other people and they're guiding them through very similar to what i do now actually
0: yeah i did wonder because generally that kind of technology software thing goes hand in hand and then if you've got sort of free access to well i mean what what is considered the best design hardware Mm. you kind of you know you you're learning all the time and then getting more confident creating content so the co- obviously the confidence What going back and watching your older videos, like I said, it's a very conscious decision to be in front of camera because like that first video you did, it was the aquasphere, it was you were panning all over the place because obviously screen resolution and everything isn't there. Yep. But I you know, the people I I have watched that we both know that are in the industry now that are, you know, almost arm wrestling to put out as much uh content as they possibly can. Were, did, were you kind of I have to be in front of the camera to do this because I, I think it's such a brave thing to do If you can sit behind a screen and show tutorials but you were quite I mean I, I've always known who you are I've always known your name I've always known you've been a Photoshop guy so you obviously put in the work on YouTube
1: yeah I think I, I flip-flopped between whether or not it should be on camera or not at the very beginning I think the first video That might have been the second, actually, the one I was around on on camera. But I think, you know, I went on just to see what would happen. It was it was fairly normal for YouTube. Again, there was no educational content, so I didn't really have anything to compare it to. But a lot of people were on camera, the ones who were creating videos. So I figured, let's do that. And I think I, I very quickly flip flopped out of that and I just did audio based tutorials. I don't think I was on camera for a while after that cuz I didn't feel it was really necessary. I also didn't really use my name very often. It was just Iceflow Studios. That was just my username. Um I didn't really know if I was going to continue doing this in the long run, so I just, you know, it was just a faceless video. Iceflow Studios, no one really knew until I forget when it was, but at some point Adobe was holding a contest I think they called it the next Photoshop Evangelist Contest or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, I remember um, that. Er- Eric ended up pa- winning it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah and, yeah. and that really bummed me out because I figured, I, you know, I was a bit cocky at the time. I, I totally thought I was going to win that thing because I had a huge following on YouTube. Um, I was doing really well. But you look back at it and I entered it faceless, I, I believe. And I was just Ice Flow Studios, I wasn't Howard Pinsky. And that really gave me a wake-up call that if I want to make it in this industry, if I want to become an evangelist at some point or a trainer that goes to Photoshop World or Adobe Max, and I really need to build me and not necessarily my brand. So I think that really woke me up.
0: Yeah, I, I remember when that happened. So I think Gavin, they did it for a couple of years. I think Gavin Hoey won it the second year or something. Mm, yeah, I think so. Um, and there, there was a whole bunch of weird voting stuff going on. But like Alan, Alan who's here, <laughs> who hasn't said anything yet, but he's there. Alan and my, our background, uh, like my first introduction to sort of online training was officially like Photoshop World and Kelby, uh, what was the NAPP. Um, Before that, I used to watch a TV programme on Sky, what was, what we've got Sky. And there was a guy called Richard Topping. And each week I used to record it. And he used to do Photoshop training on television. Oh, wow. And and I used to sit and record it on my VHS and then go back and watch it. He did desktop publishing, Photoshop, all sorts of stuff. I've I've tried to get him on the podcast. He's agreed. He now lives in America in the back of beyond, doesn't do it anymore. Mm. But that kind of online training thing, was I found the NAPP. So that was sort of my introduction. Mm. And then obviously YouTube training what are your thoughts kind of now that you've moved away from it you've had a career in it what are your thoughts today about that kind of educational space given that I consider YouTube to be unqualified because anyone can put anything on there versus you know Behance, Kelby One, um, Creative Life, Learn all these other um domesticers just come on online uh, LinkedIn Learning I know you did a video, which one of the other ones I watched was about people saying, should I go to university or should I kind of, you know, learn and get a job? Has your attitude about that changed now that you've moved through that space?
1: So a few things. I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you said anyone can do it on YouTube. And that's definitely one of the things I've noticed over the last few years is YouTube is so saturated. There is so much content on there not just in the comedy space or the vlogging space but also the education space everyone's making photoshop tutorials everyone's making tutorials on you name it there's something on there that they can make a tutorial on and it's it very you know it makes it very difficult to find quality content even if you search photoshop or adobe xd or whatever it might be on youtube in the search bar you'll find some good stuff from official channels but you'll also find a lot of stuff from people who I wouldn't say they don't know what they're doing, but they're not officially connected with some of the companies that make these applications. So the content might not be um, audited. Some of it might be incorrect. And I don't know if I want to blame it on YouTube's algorithm or just, I don't know what, how to solve that problem. And that's one of the reasons why I started Let's XD shortly after joining Adobe is I knew that my content, when I started uploading, it would be very difficult to find on YouTube. So I made sure that there was one place to put this stuff and that's been very successful. And I think things like Adobe Live and Behance and you know many of these other smaller services that are definitely not as big as YouTube, but they focus on very specific things. So it's almost like a single source of truth where people know that they can go right. to get quality content that's been audited, you know, it's been kind of filtered out, all the bad stuff, right?
2: Well, it, it seems to me that um, Adobe is actually putting that into the applications now. Um, the, the training and help and the help files are right there when you, you know, when you start XD or in, a, in my case, I the other day, you know, it was like, hey, did you want to do this? And, and the training from Adobe or from at least Adobe uh, vetted sources is right smack dab in the application. So it seems like the training... And the help files are now being, um, I don't have to go to YouTube anymore. I don't actually have to search the internet. I don't have to Google my problem. It's I can literally find it right inside the Adobe product. You, you, you know? don't
0: have to watch any adverts for weeks. Yeah, I, you know. <laughs>
2: um, but, but it seems to me that like that is a, a real um advantage right now to companies like Adobe putting training inside of the applications themselves. So you don't have to go outside. I mean, I'm assuming that's something that is going on with XD and that you guys are actively working on. Um, Yeah.
1: There's a lot of resources going into in-app training and a lot of it is because there's so much content out there. Like we were talking about a few moments ago, that people have come to Adobe and said, Hey, you know, I'm finding these tutorials, they're either very outdated or they don't make sense. It's wrong content. And especially with Adobe XD, with it updating every single month, like that's half of my job is just updating videos that literally I put out a month ago because they're outdated now. Um, I guess it's good job security, but you know, <laughs> we want to make sure that if people are getting training, not only do they have quick access to it, but also it's accurate information so i think the photoshop team has done a fantastic job at their in-app experience i haven't checked out all the other ones um i'm in audition right now but i haven't looked at the in-app training but there's there's a lot of resources going into it um the teams across adobe have some very interesting ideas for additional things that they're working on can't talk about those just yet but yeah i think in-app training is going to be incredibly important going forward
0: yeah, that's something we've, we, oh,
1: sorry. No, I just, I have seen a something... huge
2: punch of, the, of that, and especially from the Lightroom team, you know, and, um, because it seems right. to be aimed low at, at more consumer level people coming in. So there seems to be a whole lot of, of, uh, emphasis on proper, real, you know, accurate training, um, for the, for the apps. And it's, it's been really wonderful to see, um. Especially when you think you know everything and then you realize you don't, and you have to go find something and that happens right. to me just about every you know every day
0: yeah yeah i and I know for us at astute we' kind of followed we have to follow Adobe's lead because we're reliant on Adobe Illustrator, and I'm training manager, so I'm kind of in that position where because the evolution i will come on to this, but want to talk about the evolution of software as well is because it's evolving so quickly now and because it's available to us so much quicker than it used to be than the big box with all the discs is you need you're getting all these tools thrown at you and you need that training you need to know at least okay what's what's this tool going to do for me like i've got audition i've got premiere pro i've got rush i've got media encoder i've got you know you're seeing all these ones come up what do i need them for so i think it's great that that training has kind of kicked in in app because the thing that annoys me about YouTube is while I'll quickly go and look for something you know like how to change a washer on a washing machine the, the thing with the other content with the Photoshop content and having spoken to people with a million subscribers and the people with 10 subscribers the focus always seems to be on the revenue rather than the content right it always seems to be about the algorithm and the revenue and i hate that i hate that you're just churning out because you want numbers because you want to be like the youtube equivalent of tiktok famous you know it's it's not about the quality of the content it's just bring it out bring it out bring it out numbers 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 and i get a check and i think hopefully people are starting to realize that on youtube because you've got, you know, I've been watching Behance Live all the time I've been off. And the the content on there has been varied. But it's been great. You know, I've been looking at XD stuff as well. Yeah, it, it's I, I, just definitely, interesting.
1: yeah I definitely agree. I and mean, that's, that's the nature of YouTube. A lot of people on there are making content for a living. So it's something they have to pay attention to. They have to figure out the algorithm. They have to put out content. You know, working for a YouTube network previously... I know the reality of this. Like if, you, if you don't put out content, even for a month, you're basically done. It's going to be a very hard road to get back onto. So it's something that has to be done. But at the same time, you're absolutely right. There's, there's a little bit of lack of quality sometimes when videos are rushed out the door, which is why I, you know, I, I kind of like the position I'm in now, because it doesn't matter if I put out one video a day or one video a month. I can still, you know, I can f- really focus on the quality of that content and not have to worry if YouTube's algorithm is going to favor it or not, because that's completely out of my hands and don't care anymore.
0: Yeah. No, but you're making it for the right reason. You're making it because the information is needed rather than the necessity of having to churn out videos just because there's, there's revenue or ads to be had. Right. And, and I think now we're a learning environment, especially with the the... Pandemic, the pandemic, and the situation we're in. A lot of people are at home. They are sat in front of screens more often. You know, we've got iPads, we've got all these devices. That I think it's good now that not only are the apps transitioning to mobile, but the training goes with it as well. And I'm, I'm sure I'd, I'd like to think that the kind of the uptake on. Uh, Adobe subscriptions and people buying into more products is you know like Alan said he's looking more at Audition. I've been looking more at Premiere Pro. It's such a great opportunity to learn these tools because they are being made. You know, when you think ten or fifteen years ago, like Final Cut Pro or any of those, uh you know, Dreamweaver. <laughs> we won't talk about Muse because that's like the cousin, <laughs> the cousin that nobody. But bless it. um but yeah, you know we've 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 got all this professional software at our hands today, almost like we had games on the Game Boy fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. It's where they used to be the professional tools. So, do you like your remit as for what you're doing as the XD evangelist? I mean, what kind of focus do you do you personally have to do? Are you focused on? the like evolution of the software or do you have to predominantly look at the training side of it?
1: Yeah, it's mostly training. I would say it's 98% training. I do keep in contact very closely with the XD product team. Sometimes we'll go back and forth on some ideas, but for the most part, you know, they handle all that stuff and I'm focused a lot on training, a lot of live streaming, a lot of video content, and, um, and then of course Let's XD as well.
0: So Iceflow was your username your company were were you self-employed i guess for a large period of time or were you with full screen and iceflow on the side and something what was kind of your, what was paying your bills for those years up to yeah up to coming to adobe
1: yeah so i would say from 2005 when i created my youtube channel to about 2014 i was just iceflow studios that was the username on youtube And from 2012, I think that's when, no, 2008, I think is when I started making a little bit of money on YouTube and that started to fizzle out in 2014. I mean, I still have the Iceflow Studios company. I don't do anything with it, but I would say 2014 is kind of when things started to explode and that's when I moved over to full screen. Um, It was was a great move. I, I really liked it, learned a lot there. But yeah, so 20, I would say 20, 2005, 2014, that's kind of when Iceflow had its, biggest years
0: so I was, also I was looking something Alan and I have both done and I came to really really late was speaking at events as well because being behind a camera on your own where you can edit all the bad stuff out is one thing and then <laughs> I I mean I we was in their last episode we were talking about I met Alan in 2010 at my first ever photoshop world where I just decided to pull the you know bite the bullet and spend the money and go out to the to my first ever conference see what it was about, see what I could learn. My first kind of in-person uh, event. What's your history with, with that side of it? Because it, I know you've spoken at Max before you joined Adobe. Mm-hmm. Was events something that you started to feel more comfortable about or, again, a necessity?
1: It took me a while, and it was definitely a necessity at first. Um, I'm a very anxious per- person. I have terrible anxiety. So speaking in front of people... I remember the first time I spoke in front of uh, full screen. uh, I think there were maybe, I don't know, 50 people there. I was doing a presentation. I was freaking out internally. I just don't do well historically in front of people. I've definitely gotten better at it. And I remember in Max at 2015, when I spoke, I took over a class for Michael Ninnis, who um, had to drop out. I don't remember why, but I took over one of his classes. And ironically, it was actually a UI and UX design using Adobe Photoshop which oh wow (laughs) come full circle um I wouldn't do any of that stuff in Photoshop now but I took over that class and everyone keeps saying I did a I I did an okay job I didn't feel like I did an okay job you know it was I I I thought I had enough information but I rushed through it so quickly (laughs) and I was incredibly nervous and of course you know when you're in your head it's a lot worse than it probably actually is and I looked at the ratings originally funny story Originally, I thought I did an absolute terrible job because of the fact when I, you know, you, both of you have spoken, uh, you get the ratings afterwards, right? I took a look and it was like 4.2 or something like that. So I figured, oh no, I got 4.2 out of 10. This is terrible. I'm never doing this again. <laughs> it's actually at a five. So it's not, it wasn't yeah. as bad as I thought. But I really thought, you know, afterwards that that was it. You know, my speaking days are over. I'm never going to work for Adobe. Because again, I just didn't think it was that great. But I guess it turned out okay. Um, But I've definitely gotten more comfortable. You know, I spoke at Adobe max uh, last year when, when we were allowed to travel places and I thought that went terrific. I thought it was great. People loved it. I had a few sessions and so I'm definitely getting more comfortable speaking in front of people. But at the same time, I get a lot of questions, you know, why don't you do more conferences or why don't you do more in-person classes? And I like doing some of that stuff once in a while, but also at the same time, if you look at the numbers and how many people you can reach, I think I tweeted a while ago that, you know, on any given month, our little evangelist team reaches several hundred thousand people, sometimes close to a million people on YouTube and live streaming on Behance. We just, in, in a million years, we would never be able to reach that many people in a monthly basis, you know, talking in a conference. So and, and don't get me wrong, there, there are certainly benefits to c- talking at conferences, networking in person, you meet a whole different audience. So there's absolutely benefits to that. But if, if we're if we're trying to, you know, really educate as many people as we can, then online content, live streaming is completely val- super valuable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. So was Max your first live stand up in front of people event? So right before Adobe Max in 2015,
1: I, I did a small event where I was living um, just to kind of get myself used to it. It was like seven people oh. or something like that. <laughs> it was okay. It was fine. I don't remember what I was doing it on. I think some some photos. Sh- actually, I think it was Lightroom, actually. It might have been a Lightroom thing, which was a little bit outside my comfort zone. But, you know, I edit photos all the time just as a hobby, so I kind of knew it. But, um, and then Adobe Max was basically my second legitimate Um, speaking events so i just got thrown in there
2: that's that is um yeah i my first (laughs) speaking in front of people ended up being at photoshop world back in like 2009 and i i made my wife go with so she would sit in the audience so i could stare at her the entire time and not lose my mind you know i you know they put me on camera once um and then we figured out that was probably not a good thing so i i (laughs) yeah so um i'm a i'm a good voice and uh you know, I, I love the fact that you can reach so many more people now online um, at their time as opposed to, you know, oh, my God, I got to get up at seven o'clock in the morning and I've got to go to a conference and I've got to sit mm. there all day and I hope I remember stuff. Because the worst part for me is I go to like like Max last year. I had a great time. I T.A. a bunch of stuff, but I also got to go to a lot of classes and then uh, sessions and then I would leave the session and go to the next one and I would leave that and go to the next one. Then I would get back the apartment, Dave, and I was sharing at the end of the night, and I could not remember one thing out of the first session I took that morning because my brain was overloaded with so much stuff. And so I I find myself going back and actually watching those sessions on the Adobe Max website and things later on going, oh, yeah, that's what he was talking about. And so while that in-person thing is great and the energy is really great, the actual learning that I got from it was afterwards going back through you know, the online No, it's the online sessions and I'm kind of excited for Max this year where it's gonna all be online and I'm still trying to f- see how they're gonna do this all, but I'm I'm kind of excited to see what's gonna come from it. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well I also heard I also heard this year's Max um online and this is an exclusive on the show is uh they've got someone new teaching InDesign.
2: Yeah, I heard that too oh, really? just just saying mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: yeah i've um i did my first photo my first ever and only public speaking appearance was photoshop world at the age of 50 in front of about 30 odd people um and it's i've spoken about it before the monitor went down and the monitor broke two-thirds of the way through but i, I got the bug a little bit i'm nervous about it i'm not a uh, you know i didn't enjoy being thinking about being on stage but then I did it. And then I've been TAing at Max. So that was, that was 2016, which is my first Adobe Max, which is how I got the job with Astute Graphics, um, meeting them there. And I stayed with Alan and it was my birthday and everything. It was really cool. Um, but yeah, it, it was just uh, freaky to think that, wow, you're at Max and there's all these people and would I ever want to teach there? Now it seems like a lot of pressure. Everyone's stressing out. And then after I wrote the book, the InDesign book, um got Kathy kind of gave me a nod and said you might be right for Adobe Max this year and I was thinking oh yeah I've got we have got to do that I've got to put that on the CV and then COVID and mm-hmm. <laughs> unfortunately you know they've like, Kathy still put it through and I'm going to be doing one InDesign session but I think it's kind of and it's that I'm actually happier that I'm doing it online first with pre-recorded to just kind of get my foot in that door because it is the mothership. It is, you know, at the time Photoshop world was my little pocket, but I was teaching InDesign for Kelby One. Now I teach, now I kind of teach InDesign classes in Photoshop in the same way you were saying you wouldn't do UX with Photoshop. Um, But it's just kind of that evolution now. You know, you get to put the content out and next year I really hope that the success of this year i can teach in front of people because it is it's, it's nice that it the content will go out but it, i think there's still something but like we met you two years ago and it was your first Adobe max mm-hmm. yeah i think you just joined as the evangelist hmm. i do like the event side of it i do like the networking
1: yeah it's interesting because even though i'm such a big supporter of online content with everything going on, being locked in the house for essentially, I don't know how many months, what since, I don't know, January, half a year almost. Yeah. I, I, I think I tweeted a few weeks ago that there's nothing more I want to do than just hop on a plane and just teach some classes in person because there's just something, you know, you, you sit in your house all day and you're behind a camera and a microphone. You really do get sick of it after a while. Um, you just want to interact with people talk with people in person, give people hugs, although we're going to be, probably be careful about that going forward, but <laughs> there's just something special about teaching in person. Of course, you don't reach as many people, but it's, again, a very different audience, and it just feels different, but in a good way.
0: Yeah, uh, you get to see the reaction. That was the thing I liked was you said about the feedback, you know, the, my first that first one kind of was a tester. The second one, you sort of have a bigger room and it's good. And when you get a laugh, it's nice. It gives you a bit of confidence. Yep. You get the people looking at you, the nodding. Mm. Uh, the second year I <laughs> did it. I, I made the mistake of... Because re- first year I was like, I don't want to read the reviews. If I'm good enough, they'll invite me back. And if I'm not, they won't. And Scott will tell me. Um, but I went back and I I put this class together and I'd, I'd spent ages putting it together I did it at Photoshop World. I read the reviews and this one person, like all of them had just been really good. Oh, I learned some great tips. And this one guy just wrote, looked like he put it together the night before. Mm. (laughs) And it crushed me. I'm like, God, I'm just so glad that, if you're the kind of person that that would eat at, that that kind of face to face, you know, you get people sat there with their arms crossed, arms folded, like I know all this. Yeah. But there, I do think it's nice to be able to see the whites of their eyes and yeah. you get you get that little recognition of oh right okay you, which you don't get online well, it's energy yeah absolutely I mean, it's, it's the ahead. energy
2: there's an engine energy in a live room that you just don't have when you're doing anything online I mean you can get as many people in a zoom conference as you want it still doesn't you know you know have the effect of 50 to 100 people or in, in my case No more. I can usually a couple of thousand or ten thousand people sitting you know, behind me cheering on a band. You just don't have that these days. And um, yeah, miss it like immensely. Uh, Live energy.
1: Yeah, and it really forces you to think different about the classes that you teach. You know, online, even though the wow effect is is definitely important, it's not, I would say, as important as in person. Because like you said, Dave, you know, people are sitting there with their arms crossed, think they know everything. But the second you pull out this really... You know, exciting pro tip that they probably have never seen before because you've been tinkering with the application for the last six months or it's a brand new feature and you look at that same person and all of a sudden they just like sit up and their eyes open up and then you know they scrabbling
0: you know. yeah scrabbling for their notebook and pencil yeah, like. yeah.
1: <laughs> so you, you definitely you know throw those things in there and it just completely changes the room it's really fun to see
0: yeah i I know one just one tip I showed in indesign and I got a round of applause now being English, we don't do that mm. if if you do really well in England, you might get a smile you might <laughs> they might unfold their arms for a moment, <laughs> but like america you can you the the energy is so much better there. that it was like my first like whoop applause for an indesign tip. And it was it kind of it, it does make you buoyant, does make you want to do it. Yeah. But I loved it. But so the big question, okay? You spoke at Adobe Max. You've been teaching Photoshop all this time. How did you get the job? How why? How are you an evangelist? And I don't mean that. How the hell are you to get being evangelist? I mean, how what's <laughs> it was that something? Because I know people who you know have have tempted to be or have been interviewed. I I know the evangelists really well um probably yeah probably I think oh, apart from Stephanie uh, I know pretty much know most of them really well so I know how much hard work it is I know kind of the hours that it takes and I know that the effect it's had on some of them over the years and we had Julianne on we've had Jason on uh, what was that a role you kind of was openly looking to get one day or I mean how did it all happen?
1: Yeah so I would definitely say I, I've been wanting to be an evangelist, or someone who teaches at whatever you want to call me, I, I've been wanting to teach for Adobe for ever since I started teaching Photoshop online. Of course, I was nowhere near qualified to do that back in uh, you know two thousand eight, two thousand nine, whatever it was. But it's an interesting story how I got to this particular position. So I was at full screen, and things were—I wouldn't say things were going very badly, but. YouTube was changing a lot. And with my focus on the marketing side, focused on smaller YouTube creators, there was a lot less of that going forward. And YouTube was, I don't want to get into details, but YouTube wasn't Mm. really supportive of that. So I kind of picked up on some hints that, you know, maybe my position may not be there for much longer. So I started looking around again. And of course I was always looking and always talking to my Adobe contacts over the years before that Um, you know I have some good friends at Adobe who have always you know anything that comes pops up that kind of would interest me they threw it my way but like you said it's very difficult to get an interview at Adobe it's very competitive space so a position came up actually on the Photoshop team and I was talking to my friend Steven Nielsen and hmm. you know there was there he, he I don't think you can tell me what the position was I still don't know what it is what, what it was <laughs> but it was I think it was a product manager position on the Photoshop team for something for all I know it could have been Photoshop on the iPad I don't know I should ask him one yeah. day um, so I started <laughs> that process and I think we were going to start getting into interviews. But then I think there was, I don't know for sure, so don't quote me on this, but I think there was some sort of a reorganization or a pause or something, something happened internally at that point that delayed the process. It, I don't think it stopped the process, it just delayed it a little bit. Um, and at that point, I said, ugh, this is annoying. So I went on Adobe's website just to see what else might be available. And there was, I think, a position for community engagement manager on the XD side. So it was on the XD or on the community team focused on XD. I think it would be someone who just basically, you know, talks to the community, um, gets feedback, shares tips and tricks from time to time. That sounded kind of interesting because I was always very connected with the community. I had been using XD since it came out in beta as Project Comet. So I figured this sounds kind of fun. Let's explore this and see what this is all about. So I did a few phone interviews. They flew me out to San Francisco. I think we drove out actually, because I was in Los Angeles at the time. So we drove out there and spent the day interviewing with a ton of different people, including Jason and Rufus. And at the time I was like, why is Jason and Rufus interviewing <laughs> me? something's up. Um, and then, you know, that was right around the time of, I think it was right when Adobe was about to go on Christmas break in December. So the process was getting prolonged and prolonged and prolonged because people were kind of slowing down a little bit. It was driving me crazy. It was, I think it, it was probably just a few weeks of waiting around, yeah. but it felt like months. And when they finally you know, gave me a phone call to offer me the job, I was still under the impression that I was going to be offered the community engagement manager position. And then the woman on the phone who was part of, I don't know, it was HR or the recruiting or whatever. She's like, oh yeah, by the way, um, it's its actually a senior evangelist position. And I was like, what? What is, what? <laughs> that came out of complete left field. I was not expecting that at all. Um, of course, you know, when, again, I when I spoke to Rufus and Jason, I, I knew something might've been, maybe they were like exploring something. But all, I also figured that with my background teaching that may, maybe maybe what they want me to teach in this position a little bit so i didn't really think too much of it but yeah they just kind of threw that out of left field and uh offered me a an evangelist position which was wild
0: wow because I, I must admit i always thought that was going to be one of those you have to really own your stripes and they kind of watch you and you you gradually like creep further and further into adobe to you know till in the end it's like oh then you know the evolution of this is you'll end up being evangelist and i know i was quite excited for you when i saw that your name would come up because you know i knew a couple of people sniffing around trying to be in that space particularly Mm -hmm. in xd as well so i was kind of a bit chuffed that i knew a i knew you and b it was like oh wow cool he's become an evangelist so because I didn't know Stephanie, but I knew you, but it was like odd that I knew you as, as a Photoshop person, but obviously joining XD, it was, wow, you know, what, what an exciting role to be an evangelist for a brand new product as well, that you don't have yeah, 30 years of baggage behind it.
1: Yeah. And I think a few, a few things helped. One, of course, XD was being, is was very new, especially at the time. And nobody was real. They didn't have an evangelist specifically for Adobe XD. You know, they were pulling in Terry, they were pulling in Paul. So they were, you know, Paul focuses a lot on Photoshop and Illustrator. Um, so they were, you know, he, they were pulling some of the resources from him and Terry was, uh, Terry does everything, but he was also doing some XD <laughs> stuff before I came on board. So I think they, they got to the point where they probably needed somebody. And also, you know, when I initially noticed the role of the community engagement manager position, Even though I was teaching Photoshop on my YouTube channel, I figured maybe it would probably help a little bit if I started to teach XD. Just to kind of pad my resume a touch. So I uploaded a few XD videos. Actually one of them, I don't know how it didn't backfire, but I was I tried to break Adobe XD during the video. Where I just tried to I created like a thousand repeat grid cells and I dragged in some massive high resolution images trying to break it and it didn't break it but those videos did really well so maybe that helped a little bit as well just so they can see that you know there's there's something there that um, that might help me out throughout the process
0: so uh obviously you joined the team and you obviously knew some of them already what well, that first photograph when you're part of the evangelist did, did you feel like you, you joined the adobe avengers because i know i would (laughs) it was it was really wild
1: especially the first meetings that we've had you know i've known paul for a while i've known terry sort of and i knew jason a little bit um never really hung out with them i met them in at conferences but you know as someone who was teaching photoshop for years and years and years these are people that i really looked up to and of course there's on the you know sort of executive side there's julianne and russell as well but you know i looked up to these people and all of a sudden, I'm in a room with them, and I'm I'm one of their coworkers, which is it was a wild ex- even today. You know, when I, whenever I'm in a room with Jason and Terry and Paul, it's just it's it's a wild experience.
0: I bet because I know when I joined sort of the Kelp the Photoshop world team, and I know Alan had done it earlier <laughs> on, but given that I grew up sort of watching what well, I say grew up um, when I was learning what watching Photoshop user TV and layers TV and reading the magazine that first time i was at photoshop world i i needed to have a photograph with Corey barker and dave cross and rc and scott because it was wow i'm like i'm i'm a peer now mm-hmm. I've, I've been learning for you for years to stand next to you guys and have that instructor badge on and then writing for the magazine and then kelby one classes and then it's just i still find it really weird and then now writing a book for scott yeah was just uh, kind of wow that you know nothing i'd ever thought i'd do. But you're right, it's when you put in the hard, you know, when you put in the work and you get to step into those shoes, it is really exciting. It does make you feel good about what you've done. And, you know, you fully deserve to be there because I think you've definitely put in the, the years and the hours to get to be in that role.
2: So I got a, I got a question just because this is in my head all the time, because I always think of the evangelists. And, and, um, and again, I've met a bunch of them and, know them and I've always found them to be some of the most helpful people on the planet um what is your day like i mean i know what my day is like and it, it when i'm writing it's usually you know many dark hours spent in this office staring at a computer screen banging my <laughs> head against the desk you know waiting for inspiration or something to hit um but you guys are putting out content on, on a on an absolutely crazy level all the time and you're reaching out and dealing with uh clients customers users you know whatever you have you want to talk so I mean, do you get up with a do you wake up in the morning with like a light bulb going off? like, oh my God, I had this thought yesterday about how to do this and, and that's what I'm gonna work on today? Or do you have like a like a nice organized desk calendar like you know, Monday I'm doing a video Tuesday, I'm talking to, you know how does your how does your evangelistic day actually work?
1: Yeah, it's or... a little bit of all of the above. you know, sometimes I literally wake up in the middle of the night with an idea, because I'm sure both of you have been here. You dream about something that's oh, related yeah. to your job all oh, the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you, you grab your phone, you open the notes app, you write it down. Sometimes in the morning it makes sense. Sometimes it, I have something in my notes that I wrote down at like one in the morning. I woke up, I have no idea what it means, but at the time it was a brilliant idea. But anyways, <laughs> um, it, yeah, it's, it's all over the place sometimes, you know, depending on the week. So sometimes I will run, we have these daily creative challenges And those are over two weeks. So, you know, those two weeks are pretty much uh, booked and they've been booked for a few weeks before that. So I have, I know exactly what live stream I'm gonna do. I know what I'm gonna design. And most of the time, you know, the two weeks aside from meetings are just focused on that. And then there, I do a lot of videos for various teams at Adobe. Of course, the new features, uh, I always do videos for those for XD. Um, But there's various marketing teams that I work with. Some of them will want videos for plugins. Some will want videos for um, workflows that they might be working on or might be uh, focusing on for their marketing campaigns, whether it's collaboration or uh, design systems. I think I'm doing one for components now. And of course, there's always the old old videos that have to be updated. So it's sometimes all over the place. And then when I do have time, going back to what alan was talking about if i do come up with a really interesting idea then i'll try to squeeze that in as a standalone video so yeah it's i wish i had sometimes you know a more structured day but it's it's kind of hectic but it's it's fun i can't complain
0: it it sounds like you've got more creative freedom because of the role you've got rather than be kind of lower down the food chain and have to have 12 people sign it off before you can do it and by the time they've agreed it has changed anyway so at least you get to be and you're a designer which i think is also a massive benefit because i've watched instructors who are not designers Mm -hmm. but they know it's like they can open the bonnet and tell you how every piece works but can't design for toffee so i always like it when a designer is doing the job because they know that it's fit for purpose they know that it's not just a hey look this goes whiz bang pop It's, oh, you need this because it solves this problem.
1: I also spend a lot more time than I probably should on the designs that I come up with, whether it's the assets that I make available for download or just the ones that I show off on a video. Because I do know that there is that level that our team needs to set, that it's not just a bunch of, you know, pixels on a screen that may or may not look good. It has to have that high fidelity look to really... Because people look up to us as you know, the experts in the space. And if I have these terrible looking designs, even if the instruction behind it is really solid, if the visual doesn't match, then it's gonna take the entire video down. So sometimes I'll spend, I think one of the assets that I released or worked on recently, I think I spent two months creating um, and I, I went through so many revisions. The first few revisions, I just, they just didn't feel right. And I just scrapped the entire thing and started from scratch. And don't get me wrong, like I could have very easily gotten away with the the first few revisions, but they just didn't feel right. And I I want to make sure that everything that I put out there looks great.
0: Yeah, and you've got to now because the quality has got to be good because it's Adobe. Yeah. You know, when it's yourself, you can throw out the odd YouTube, oh, just throw this out and see what happens with it. But it's Adobe now, so that's it. I've got two more questions for you to finish off. So the first one is, so how do you relax (laughs) when you're not Mr. Adobe Evangelist? What turns your head off from all this that you do? Because I follow you on Instagram, so I know you've got a dog and I know you're walking. But, you know, what what interest, what are you, if you could shut off for a week, what do you like to do? (laughs) Well, well, this is the week I'm supposed to be shut off.
1: And I found myself (laughs) slipping in some work here and there. Thankfully, you know, the work that I do... Some of it, especially the design side of things, doesn't feel like work. I'll just find myself sitting on the couch or on the bed even and just designing something that maybe I'll use eventually in a video or maybe I won't use. I'll go back to old designs and just tweak them to update them for new features or just to improve the fidelity a little bit. But aside from that, when I'm not sneaking in work, uh, play video games a lot. My wife and I are big into Animal Crossing. You know, we have a three-year-old daughter. So I try to hang out with her from time to time. We went to the zoo on Monday. That, that was kind of fun. So, you know, it's mostly just a little bit of video games, a little bit of work, but not the not the scripting kind of work. You know, the scripting stuff I definitely save for the nine to five or whenever it is that I'm actually sitting in front of my computer. But I just find sometimes designing things very relaxing. I know not everyone will will feel that way. Some people want to disconnect completely from what they do, but it works for me. No, same right.
0: here. Exactly the same here. And people say, what's what's your job? I say, well, I'm a graphic designer and I work for street Graphics and we're involved in Illustrator. And what do you do for a hobby? I, I turn my Mac on and I design stuff. <laughs> <Yep>. I'd <just, laughs> sit and have an idea and I sketch it and I need to jump on Illustrator and make it into something. I'll be making stickers today for something. And it's just, that's how my brain works. I've got a ton of design books. I I if I read I read about design or I read something design related that's just you're right you you kind of your brain gets wide I think when you have children um, which was I was kind of wanting to ask about sort of your your personal side is it's a very like heavy role luckily you're working from home at the moment but like you say you've got a three-year-old I know I was traveling doing conferences before I was teaching when both my girls who are 10 and 12 now were you know one two three now, at that age, they you could be away for a week. They don't have a concept of time. But how have you found that balance of, you know, being kind of working for yourself and now being an evangelist, you're probably going to find yourself traveling around a lot more. Was that something you sort of factored in taking the job, knowing that you've got a young family?
1: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, thankfully, when I was going through that process, they, they mentioned that, there would be a little bit of travel but because of the nature of adobe xd and also the shift in tr- online training i wouldn't be traveling as much you know i hear stories a lot whenever the evangelists are hanging out or we're at dinner or whatever <laughs> they tell me that like literally they were on the road 250 days of the year or 300 days of the year they just non-stop traveling country to country city to city i wouldn't have been able to do that you know traveling for me i'm i'm for whatever reason, I'm terrified of planes. Even though I like traveling, I just don't like getting on a plane. Still don't know why, even though I know it's like one of the safest modes of tra- transportation. But um, I don't like planes. I don't like flying places. So, but but I do. You know, when I do have to travel and go to Adobe Max or whatever it is, obviously something I have to do. But yeah, we, you know, my wife works at home, so she's she can be with my daughter. And um, the times that I have traveled when I was when we were able to travel um it was it was kind of fun you know going away for a few days spending time with at conferences or whatever it might be coming home and getting this
0: massive hug from my little uh oh, yeah. little daughter so
1: you know it it's been okay
0: yeah I'd agree Julianne said the same thing she hates flying oh yeah and she ended up having to fly cuz I joked and said so when you're in the interview which bit of the world wide <laughs> did, did you not factor into this but she ends up writing two books based on you know from her travelling from oh. out a passenger window yeah it, I follow you know, her on Instagram it, and that's all yeah. I see is just
1: pictures out of a plane or something or whatever she's flying in um, yeah. yeah you'd never know
0: and that's what's been nice with the evangelists is having had, having had the chance to get to know them they're all just lovely friendly approachable people you can't not walk up to any one of them I think The only one I never really got to know was Michael, and I don't think he's on the team anymore. Oh, Um, yeah. But yeah, all of them, you know, you see him at events, they're walking around. I always have a joke of Russell that we always have a photograph taken every year, both of us looking completely surprised. (laughs) But even, you know, Russell will always stop and and take time to spend with you. So that's great about the team. My last question that we do on a lot of episodes is we have a thing, love and loathe. Um, The love being, like, what do you love about your role or what you do the loathe doesn't have to be i hate this about my job it can just be a this i wish i could change this one thing to make it better so what's your love what what's the thing that puts the biggest smile on your face about what you do
1: yeah i think aside from obviously being able to train which is what i've been doing for years and years and years i i love the fact and i did not expect this when i joined adobe with this massive company i love the fact how much flexibility and freedom I have at the company you know when I started Let's XD which has now become the official source of XD content I just did it as a side experiment my manager said just go for it see what happens and I just did it and they just told me to keep doing it and so you know that's definitely something that I like about it is you know if I have an idea I can just run with it and you know, it may work, it may not work, but they're very supportive of that. Just try things and uh, see what happens.
0: And what about the flip side of that? Is there anything about the job or about the... Not necessarily the job, let's make it about the industry. Um, is there anything in the industry that you would sort of say, I kind of wish this didn't happen or I wish this would change or the, you know, the the, the way people behave or yeah. react to things?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's the way people behave, not necessarily not the majority of people, I I definitely don't want to peg it on that, is, you know, we're, and my camera just went out again, but we're, um, you know, we're in a very competitive space. There are big players in our industry. There's Adobe XD, there's Figma, there's Sketch, there's Envision. And naturally, people have their favorite application of choice. Mine happens to be Adobe XD, a lot of people love Figma. A lot of people love Sketch, whatever it might be. And that's fantastic. And I'm hugely supportive of that because I think competition is fantastic for the industry. It pushes everyone forward. Unfortunately, being one, you know, one of the faces of one of these products, I see way too often people who have their favorites just going off on everyone else. And again, this is not... <laughs> you probably see this too, but this is not the majority of people. I don't want to, I want to make that clear. It's a small group of people. And there's a few that I can name, but I'm not going to, Um, you know, whenever, (laughs) if someone posts something that they like Adobe XD, someone for whatever reason decides to tweet at them. They're probably not even following them. I don't know if they're like just searching Adobe XD or whatever it might be. And they just jump down their throat and telling them they need to use this other application because of X, Y, and Z. And that mindset, I don't necessarily understand. I see it a lot in the video game industry, you know, Xbox users and PS4 users just going at it all day. You have to use this or you have to use that. And like a lot of times I'll just tell them, you know, I'll ask them, what car do you drive? They'll say, oh, I don't know, a Honda Civic. And I'll, I'll just straight up say, well, why, why don't you drive a, a Toyota Corolla? It's, it's a superior car. It's much better. Yeah. And they're like, well, I like my Honda. Oh, I see, I see. Uh, yeah. So that, yeah, that's Canon, one Canon, th-
0: Nikon, exactly, Mac, yeah. Windows. Yeah. yeah, that's one
1: thing that I really would like to see change in the industry is just be supportive of what people choose to use. You know, Every application I would say has its benefits. Of course, you know, Adobe XD has really powerful prototyping features. Figma has been historically great with collaboration and it's online. You know, if, if, if you need an online tool, then use Figma, have fun with it. If you need auto animate, use XD, have fun with it. Just don't jump down people's throats just because they like something else or they even need to use something else. That's, that's probably the one that's my rant of the day. (laughs) That's That's a good rant. It
2: happens in just about every single industry. I have, I, I've seen people who go, man, I really like the Avengers. Really, you like the Avengers? Batman's so much better. It's like you can like them both. Yeah,
1: yeah. You, who cares?
2: You know? Um,
0: yeah. I. I yeah. In fact, in your in your case with XD, a lot of a lot of people who use XD also use Figma and and Envision and the other tool. They they find a workflow that that works for them. It, that why berate someone because of what they use? Because. Yep. You know, I've, I've said if you tinker with a car in a garage for fun, you're never going to buy the whole snap-on tool set in the big red drawer case that's, you know, delivered on the back of a truck if you're only using two of the spanners. right? Because it's, uh, you know, you're going to go, oh, I don't need it's too much. It's just find the tool that suits you and learn the, learn the tool as best as you can and just improve yourself. Don't spend... We, we always question all the people who are complaining do they actually have a job do they work because they seem they seem to be on it a lot of the time i think people just like just like hating i know i uh, when adobe went to creative cloud i i would have stood on top of mount everest and waved the adobe flag i thought it was the best thing ever and um richard curtis who was in, he's uh-huh. in charge at the the uk side um i did some events with him we got to know him through kathy and he said to me one day he said dave stop trying to put out fires because these people are going to hate forever even if we give it to them right they are just going to hate on it because that's all they're going to do just go about your business enjoy it and just let them because they will fade away they will go away and you know we see it now with um oh i'm going to affinity or i'm fine go Mm -hmm. you know no one's forcing anything down your throat you have to go through a a process to get the tools that you want. Just enjoy what's out there. And if you're making money from it, chances are you're on an Adobe product.
1: Right. And it's one thing to dislike a product because it doesn't have a feature that you need in your workflow or maybe there's a bug that you've run into. And that's mm-hmm. fine. You know, that happens everywhere. And, you know, there's there are channels to submit feature requests and there are channels to talk directly with developers. But it's when people get very aggressive and unfortunately i've seen many cases where people will send like literal death threats to people (laughs) who are working on products and it's like what is going through your mind where you think it's okay to threaten somebody's life or hope someone gets cancer because a uh, an application or a game doesn't work the way you expected it
0: oh man it's very confusing that, yeah. These are the people who won't wear masks. No. <laughs> but, um, hey, hey, um, I, I, I just want to say strange. there's one thing about
2: oh. uh, and, and we can cut this later, but um, I had a question about Lightroom for years and I asked every single person I knew, um, you know, why I didn't do something. And um, I finally I was talking to Julianne at Adobe Max uh, two years ago and I we were just standing around talking, um, having some food and I said, you know, by the way, this is something that's been driving me crazy for years and it's been bugging Mm -hmm. me. And a month later, I got an email from her that just said, Hey, I asked, and here's why we can't do what you want us to do. And here's the reason behind it. And I was like, Oh my God, they answered my question. Thank you very much. Done. And it was like, yeah, it was something that annoyed me forever, but I wasn't going to start bashing a the company and be the product over one little thing. And then, it was explained. It was done. The evangelist literally was like, here's how it works. She followed up. And it was one of those moments where I was like, this is why I will use Adobe products. This is why the company, you know, does, I I am, you know, I use their products is because they will follow up and answer those questions. So, um, it was, yeah.
1: And in the, in the world of the internet these days where everything is accessible, you know, the last thing you want to do, if you want to Make it in the industry or, you know, land a job at some point or avoid getting fired from a position (laughs) is, you know, you you don't want to have that stuff out there because you can very easily search Twitter, search someone's timeline for any word possible. And, you know, a lot of unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know but things get brought up from people's past these days oh, and yeah. um, you know there's a, there's cancel culture is out there some some of it is justified some of it I would argue may not be but you know you don't want to be sending death threats to people because 10 years from now those will surface and it just won't look good
0: oh yeah i've seen people in the industry in the training industry openly and publicly batter adobe and i've just thought well you're never working for adobe again. in the future yeah, why would you, you you've, you've Put your flag in the sand there, but that's, that's people, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I look back at, um, very quickly, I look back at the uh, next evangelist contest that we spoke about earlier. And I think, you know, what would have happened if I didn't take a step back and I just went on Twitter or I went on YouTube and I just went off on Adobe? You know, you should have picked me. I'm the best person for this position. Uh, you're, you're garbage. I'm never working with you again. <laughs> You know, we wouldn't be here doing this podcast. I wouldn't be in the position that I'm on. You know, I stepped back. I analyzed why maybe I may not have won. what I could do better. And I spoke to people like a normal human being at Adobe, you know, give me feedback. I want to grow. I want to
0: learn. I want to better myself. And I did there's there's a soundbite right there from Excellent. you for the episode is i'll just cut out the bit where you said adobe you suck <laughs> oh no <laughs> no no i wouldn't do you that know to you know someone's gonna do um, it no no I, I would defend you to the hill listen how i i hope you have a long and successful russell preston brown kind of era oh boy. at boy adobe i know i know a lot of the team i've spoken to like uh, terry and that have often said they're seen as kind of the jedi because of their age and you know they've been around for a while I, I i really do honestly hope you have a really successful career as an evangelist at adobe and that we get to see you at events uh sometime in the near future oh, i hope so yes. um because uh you know, it's always it's great to see you. It's great to get to know you as well, and uh, and thanks for the work you're doing. You know, it's a big move for you, but I think you you can quite happily wave the flag for XD and and know that people have uh, got you back and supporting the product. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, um, thank you. I'll put some links up for um for your Let's XD and a couple of bits from Adobe for you YouTube channel. I won't put any of the old embarrassing stuff on.
1: <laughs> you know, sometimes I do
0: encourage people to watch that stuff because if they
1: doubt themselves that they're never going to improve you know watch my first videos they were terrible and look at where i am now so if you just put in the work you'll definitely get better that's awesome better
0: words to finish the podcast on so thank you howard this is about in a couple of weeks anyway i can't put it out until i've got the contract through for max now because i'm not allowed to talk about it (laughs) that's true Uh, until i've got the contract but yeah um but no thank you for joining us i really appreciate your time and i hope to see you soon of course thank you that was fun.